Please take your Bibles um, and turn to Mark chapter 7, Mark 7, as we continue in our study, the Gospel of Mark. If you recall, the last time we met, we looked at uh, Christ coming to the disciples as they were on the Sea of Galilee, again, another storm account, and they were battling the wind, battling a adverse conditions there on the sea, and Jesus came to them walking on the water, and we see that they were struggling not just with a storm, not just with a wind that was against them, but they were struggling with their own unbelief and their own lack of understanding of who Christ was and is and His authority and His work. And our text this evening picks up a slightly different theme, but one that we've seen before in the opposition of the Pharisees and the religious leaders and how Jesus' teaching on purity differed so radically from what they accepted as their norm. And we've seen these Pharisees before. We saw them in chapter 2, and it seemed that they, they there were dispatched to check up on Jesus like they are in this text in in Mark 7 this evening, and there they criticized Jesus for eating with the tax collectors and sinners in the house of Levi. We see them later in the same chapter as they criticized the disciples and Jesus indirectly for the way the disciples were going through the fields on the Sabbath day and plucking the heads of grain and, and feeding themselves, eating at that time. And we should remember how bold the Pharisees have already been As we've gone along in our study of Mark, they were so bold that they consulted with the Herodians how they might destroy Jesus after they witnessed him healing a man on the Sabbath day. It's it's clear to us, we see that they are enemies of Christ and enemies of his message, enemies of the gospel. And our text this evening helps us to peer into their hearts a bit to see just how dark those hearts are. And we see that it's not real pretty. We could say that viewer discretion is advised as we look at the hearts of these Pharisees. But however, I think we might see a little bit of ourselves in them as well. Because apart from the good news of Jesus Christ, except for the grace of God, we would be right there with these self-righteous Pharisees. These leaders of God's people whose focus was certainly upon the wrong thing. So let us pray and ask God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His holy and inerrant word. Lord God, we thank you that we can have confidence in your word. And Lord, we sit under its authority because it is the very word of God. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that by your spirit tonight, Lord God, that you would illuminate your word to us. May it be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword in our own hearts. Lord, give us grace and honesty before our God, the judge, Tonight, as we consider your word, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark 7, beginning with verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. 
And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and scribes ask him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand... There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Amen. And we praise God that He has spoken to us this evening in His holy and inerrant Word. Pharisee. You don't have to be much of a biblical scholar to understand and to have an image of something come up in your mind when I say that word, Pharisee. If a person is accused of acting like a Pharisee, we we know instantly that they're being judgmental. They're being hypocritical. We even have a word in our language that's derived from that. We've turned it into an adjective. We say a person is being pharisaical. Webster's online dictionary says that it describes a person who is hypocritical, censorious, and self-righteous. And that pretty much fits what we see in our text in the actions of the Pharisees in their conversation with Jesus They came to Jesus to scold him for how his disciples were behaving. And the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is really the first thing that we see in this text. And while it is an overarching theme, we also want to consider issues of false defilement and true defilement as Christ challenges the Pharisees and then teaches his disciples about the real heart of the matter. So our points this evening are that the hypocrisy of the Pharisees false defilement, and true defilement. We read in verse 1 here that the Pharisees gathered to him, our text says. I believe it's the NASB that says they gathered around him. You almost get the picture, if you will, of the Pharisees kind of cornering Jesus, even physically, 
They came with the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. As we mentioned, this is not the first time in Mark that we've seen these men dispatched from headquarters, if you will, to find out what's going on with Jesus. They wanted to know what was going on with this young rabbi who was drawing crowds to him by the thousands. It was like the feds came into town to see what was going on and what they needed to do about it. They came really to accost Jesus, to to stop him, because they were really concerned about what he was doing. And what was their complaint? Well, this time, they had had previous complaints before, but this time, it was that disciples ate their lunch with dirty hands. Now, some of you kids might be thinking, well, the Pharisees are kind of like my mom. They make me wash my hands before I come to dinner. But it was for the Pharisees, it was more than about cleanliness. It was more than about the germs. It was about their traditions. The next verses show us this, because if you look with me at verses 3 and 4, it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition, there's that word again, the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. It was all about traditions for them. Now, it might be helpful for us to know where the Pharisees came from and where we learn about these traditions and how they came into being. The Pharisees, they think they likely formed in the second century, and they were the successors of a group of people called the Assyrians, And the Assyrians were a group of people who rebelled against a Gentile, actually a Greek king, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, in the second century. Now, Epiphanes was an evil guy, okay? He did all kinds of wickedness. And you can understand in in the mind of a good Jew in the second century why he was such a person to be feared and hated for the things that he did. He made the possession of the Torah illegal. He burned the copies that he could found. He banned circumcision. He put up idols in the temple and even offered unclean animals on the altar. He was a wicked, wicked man. Now, the Pharisees are a group of people that formed to protest and be against this wicked king that that took over and replaced the high priest, and and did all this wickedness in the temple. So the Pharisees, they wanted to guard God's law. And so what, in a sense, they were doing was they were putting a fence around it. They wanted to make sure, double sure or triple sure, that nobody was going to break God's law. And so that was what was in the background of these extra laws that they made. They added things. To the law, in a sense, to move the boundary from here to a little further out, just to make sure that people didn't break God's law. At least that's what it appeared, and and they wanted, I think that's what they told themselves, in a sense. But what happened was, is they created many, many more laws, and they sought to define God's law down to the nth degree. You know, like how much you could could pick up on the Sabbath day. And, and some of the laws became ridiculous. But they wanted, at least they said, that they wanted to put a fence around God's law. But the problem was, is they gave those 
all those many, many extra laws the same weight as God's law that He actually gave through Moses at Sinai. They went as far as to say that that these extra things, these traditions that they wrote down, actually did come from Moses at Sinai. And they completely lost the heart of the law, the law that's a good thing from a good God that reflects His good character for us, that protects us as His children. And they made it about a long list of laws that they said that man should keep. Imagine saying that it was just as bad to have a dirty cup or a pan as it was to kill your neighbor. Or imagine the religious leaders saying that it was equally sinful to eat with unwashed hands as it was to commit adultery. In the history of Israel, there have been those who disregarded the law and did abominable things like Epiphanes did. And it seems that the Pharisees were overreacting to this and they were taking comfort in the rules that they had made, man's rules, and so much so that they disregarded the heart and actually the commandment of God to hold to their own tradition. And Jesus revealed what was corruption in their heart, what had grown, and and because of their disregard for God's law, Jesus exposed that corruption in their heart because they ignored the command of God in order to preserve their own traditions. The Pharisees asked Jesus why he isn't doing something about his disciples. It's almost like one parent saying to another, do you see what your child is doing? Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, they said. It was almost as if they were saying, Jesus, if you're going to be a good rabbi, your followers need to follow our traditions. Get with it, Jesus, is pretty much what they're saying. So what about, what about our traditions? What about the things that, that we do and the ways that we like to do things? Well, tradition is not in and of itself bad, but we must recognize what it is, that it is simply tradition We should never give it equal weight with God's law. I love the fact that our Westminster Standards remind us of this in chapter 20, paragraph 2, where it says, God alone is the Lord of the conscience and hath left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. We should never bind anyone's conscience with something that is beyond God's word. God tells us, saints of God, how we are to live in the pages of His Holy Word. That is our guide. This is our rule. We should never bind any man's conscience beyond that. We strive to be people of the book. We want a church that knows God well as He has revealed Himself through His Word. Scripture is our rule and our guide. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees were so obsessed with the traditions that they themselves had made that they were ignoring God's command. They were ignoring the Torah that they said they loved so much. And while they may have had noble beginnings or noble desires to preserve God's word at one time, their hearts were no longer following closely to the law of God. There was much more self-interest on their part, then there was a holy and righteous zeal to actually honor God. 
As one commentator said, that when a desire for holiness coupled with an orthodox theology is linked with a heart that is closed to God's grace, tragedy results. That is as true today as it was then. Be warned. And I think we should be warned that we never want to have a heart that is closed to God's grace. Our desire for holiness should grow freely out of our love for God and out of our recognition for the, for the glorious grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We should, with the psalmist, say, Oh, how I love thy law, because it is a good thing from a good God. But Jesus certainly saw their closed hearts. Look at his reply. He, he went right to the heart. They accused him. He didn't, he didn't uh, soft-pedal it at all. His response goes right to their heart. And he says in verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's a quote from Isaiah 26, 3. And Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29 is is an oracle of woe. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking against the leaders of Israel. He brings accusation against them. Earlier in this chapter, the prophet has told them they're like staggering drunks who follow their own ways and have rejected God's will. So you know that the Pharisees heard this and it went right to their heart. They knew those leaders in Isaiah's day. They sat in judgment of those leaders in Isaiah's day. And Jesus had the boldness, the holy boldness to say, you are those hypocrites. Isaiah wrote this about you, he says, in our text. So they heard it, and they should have heard it loud and clear, the stinging indictment against the Pharisees. Jesus, or Isaiah was writing about the lips of the Pharisees that speak words that make people think that they are honoring God, when really their heart is miles away. It was the Pharisees that had left the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men. And then Jesus gives them an example of how they've done it. He doesn't just say, you're hypocrites. He says, look, this is how you are doing these things. And you can't help but notice a little bit of sarcasm in Jesus' word. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. And then he tells them how they're doing it. And he tells them about this issue of Corbin. Well, the word Corbin is, is a Greek transliteration of a, the Hebrew word for vow or offering. And so if a man had parents um, who were living and they were in need and it was his responsibility to care for them. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And then he also quotes uh, from, I think it's um, Exodus 21, that commands them to kill a son who curses his father or mother. So in that culture, and should be so in ours as well, that honoring one's parents was a supreme virtue. It was certainly true in Bible times and Eastern cultures such as this. It's also true in the American South, I've learned. And by the way, it's a virtue that we need to continue to stress today. Honoring our fathers and mothers. 
But the Pharisees found a way to get around this when it came to financially supporting their parents. If a man wanted to protect his wealth from having to be spent to care for his parents, he would just say, well, I would love to help you, Mom and Dad, but it's Corbin. In other words, it's devoted to God. However, he could still use that money as though it were his own. But yet he would deprive his parents of the care that they needed and that he should have given them. And the Pharisees went so far as to even forbid a person to be released from that vow if they had made such a vow, if they want, even if they wanted to help their parents. And so Jesus is saying, look here, Pharisees, you are breaking God's commandment. You are breaking the Decalogue. You are breaking the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses at Sinai because you are, are making this loophole that people can jump through to preserve their own wealth and their own fortune. They completely circumvented the heart of the law for something they had created. And then Jesus tells them, it's, this is just one of many. There's many such things that you do like this. What is it then that Jesus is teaching? Well, we see that, that he turns his attention then, um, beginning in verse 14, to the people, and then a few verses later, to the disciples, to teach them about them, about things. He uses the hypocrisy of the Pharisees to show that defilement doesn't come from the outside. What they considered defilement was really false defilement. They thought it was defilement to drink from a cup that hadn't been washed or to not wash their hands. They equated those things with the actual true law of God. But Jesus says, no, that's false defilement. It's not about how clean your hands are. It's not about how clean your pots or cups or copper pans or how stain-free your couches are. It's not even about what food you eat. It's about what's in your heart. So as we consider the, finally the true defilement, what is it then that defiles a per- person? Jesus says it pain- plainly in verse 20. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. That is true defilement. What is the source of the defilement that is so intrinsic to our existence as humans? It doesn't come from the outside. It doesn't come from keeping these traditions. No, it comes from our hearts. Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The unregenerate heart is full of sin and wickedness. Jesus knew about the depravity of man. He knew about man's heart and the evil that comes from it. It was so hard, though, for the people of that day to to hear and to understand. They were so entrenched in the Old Testament ways of thinking and thinking about what they ate and how it was prepared and following all those dietary laws, even just keeping the law that, that was given to Moses. They were all about that. But they didn't see that, 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 that all those laws taught them about sin and should have taught them about their hearts, but they were so slow to get it. Because what happened to Peter? Peter, who, who we think stands behind as the witness for the, the gospel of Mark, he had to have a vision of unclean animals being lowered to him as he was on the, the roof of the house. And, and, the, and the voice came to him saying, rise, rise kill and eat. And he said, no, no, I can't do that. It's unclean. 
And that was repeated again. And then even after that, in Galatians 2, we read about how Peter was, was unwilling to fellowship with Gentiles and eat with them. He was still keeping the separation there, not recognizing that, that Christ had come and was the fulfillment of the law. And I think it's hard for us. We have a hard time learning it too. We, we like to blame our sin on things outside of us. But what does James say about temptation? He said, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, of his own lusts and enticed. That's when we're tempted. It comes out of our own heart, our own desires. That's why we, it's all about the heart. We have to check our heart. We have to check our own desires. Our problems lie within us. And then Jesus lists these sins, and what what an ugly list it is. He says, it's out of the heart that comes evil thoughts, wicked imagination, and nurturing temptation, and evil desire. He lists sexual immorality, which is near the head of this list, and, and, and probably the foremost thing in similar lists that Paul the Apostle give us in his epistles. Sexual immorality, any action or desire we could say that would violate the seventh commandment and in any way strike at the purity and vitality of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That's a whole host of sins. Theft, murder, taking of another person's life or not caring for your neighbor as you should. He lists adultery separately, Technically, it's the taking of another person's spouse, but it, but it also includes all impure thoughts, words, or actions. Coveting, which is desiring to have something that belongs to, is rightfully someone else's. Wickedness, someone wrote that, that wickedness is having a heart that is completely equipped to inflict evil on any man. Deceit. Desiring to deceive, to even bait a person, to ensnare them for financial or physical harm. Sensuality, moral debauchery, we could say it is, and especially in defiance of of God's law and, and man's law as well. Envy, he lists. Discontented or resentful longing. Slander, which is malicious speech designed to harm another. Pride, we all know pride well, I think. A person who lifts himself up and enjoys looking down on others. A person who is arrogant or boastful. And then lastly, he lists foolishness. And really, we need to consider the the Bible's definition of a fool, and that is a person who disregards God's law and has no fear of God in his heart. Those are the things that come out of the heart. Those are the things that truly defile these things that are within the heart of sinful man. And if you are outside of Christ tonight, I'm sorry, but this describes you. All these things are in some degree or another in the heart of sinful men. And as we said, the ceremonial laws of of the Old Testament, of the law, were there to teach people about sin. And, And I think today we need to consider sin because we often have too shallow of a view of sin. It is out of our sinful heart that all of these things come And that's why we need a new heart. And if you are outside of Christ, I beg you, I command you, come to Christ today. 
repent and receive the, the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for all that ugly list of sins that Jesus gave. And if you are in Christ, I beg of you, guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. The heart of the matter is your heart. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Guard your heart. Keep a short list of accounts with God. Be killing sin, lest it be killing you. Feed your heart daily upon God's word so that you might keep your heart fed and growing in grace. It's all about the heart. For out of it are the issues of life. Let us guard it for God's glory. Let us pray.